Welcome to this week's Manor House message. We are grateful you are listening with us today. It is our prayer that you will receive a fresh word from God and find encouragement for every season of your journey. Let's listen to this message from Pastor Dylan. Oh, come on. How's everybody doing this morning? Whew. It's a good day to be in church. I'm going to be honest with you. We've got so much happening this summer. Um, kind of uh, unapologetically kind of doing some promos. If you're a high school student and you're a parent of a high school student, we've got a summer internship called Prime. And uh, can I encourage you, get your student into Prime. We don't just want young people following Jesus for the years that they're in high school. We want a young person following Jesus the rest of their life. Like having a great career is a great thing, but following out God's calling is even better. And so we want young people to have a right foundation. They get a college credit. So after service, jump out the table. If you're a high school student, I'm telling you, it will change your life and it'll be the best thing you do all summer. Young adults, 18 to 30, go to the Cove. It's, it's just a fun boating weekend. Um, you'll meet a bunch of new friends and have a great time. You know you're an adult when summertime means that there's no longer vacation. That's when you know like you're adulting. It's like summertime hits and there's no difference between like, like the semester and summertime. And so if you're a young adult, come hang out with us. It'll be a blast and um, give yourself a break. You know, you work really hard. And so um, we just wanna make sure that there's at the table, Pastor Sherry, one of our young adult pastors, is going to be there, connect with her about that. But this morning, um, we are going to start a new series, which I'm particularly excited about. We're going to start a new series called Not Today. We're going to series it's called Not Today. That, that I don't know if you've noticed this, but have you recognized that maybe you're a Christian or maybe you're not a Christian, but have you ever realized that um, regardless of your walk in life, that you still find yourself experiencing some challenges? You, you find yourself experiencing some very real Challenges. Some of them are quite natural when it comes to finances. A roof over my head. What am I going to eat? There's like there's some challenges that you face. Some of us, some of us, it might not be literal. It might be existential. Have you noticed that sometimes it seems like everything is going right, and yet why is my inside, in my inward world, falling apart? Have you noticed that just because everything is the way it should be doesn't mean that I have everything together? That have you noticed that there's real problems that we we have real challenges we can encounter some real. Let me say it like this, enemies in our life. And oftentimes we don't know what to do with them. But my prayer during this series is that when you recognize the problem or the challenge, the enemy that's in front of you, that knowing that God is for you, you can tell that enemy, you know what? Not today. You're not taking me out today. Hey, you know what? You used to hold me yesterday, but today is a different day. Because have you noticed just because there's a, let me, let me try and say this right. Just because you have an enemy present doesn't mean that it has any power. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Just because you have a problem or a, a challenge doesn't mean that it has authority over you. But what are we supposed to do when we run into these problems, when we run into these challenges? And can I posit this thought that the same enemies that the nation of Israel faced in the Old Testament are actually just the same enemies that you and I face today. That the reason why God recorded certain things in Scripture is that when you look at the children of Israel, which was the first church, that the same enemies that they faced are actually the same enemies that you and I face today. In fact, the Bible tells us that it was recorded for our benefit, for us to learn from, that your life, mine and your life is actually a microcosm of what happens in the Old Testament where God's people love God, things are going well and they succeed and they kind of depend on themselves and things don't go so well. Have you noticed that happens in your life? Man, things are going great take some time off, things are going well, and then a crisis, and you're like, oh God, 
Why have you forsaken me? And God's like, well, I, I didn't forsake you. You kind of did your own thing for a bit. Anybody, is it just me? No, we're in church. We're not going to judge. But, but I want to propose this thought that as we look at how the Israelites fought their enemies, it's the same way that you and I are supposed to fight today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to actually go to the Old Testament. And before we do, I want to give some context for us to understand what we're going to be reading. And so we're going to go back to the very beginning. Um, it's a very good place to start. And I want to look at the nation of Israel. Um, and so we recognize that the nation of Israel were in Egypt um, for 400 years. And, and they were God's people, not because they were special, but because God had chosen them. And because God chose them, that's what made them special. And in the nation of Egypt, um, for 400 years, they were under bondage. They were under slavery to um, Egypt until one day God rose up a savior-like figure called Moses. Most of us would know the story. And Moses kind of goes to Pharaoh and he said, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, ooh, baby, let my people go. And Moses said, no. And uh, Pharaoh said no. And so Moses did his whole 10 plague thing. You know the story, the locusts, the gnats. It's like, ew. Um, and Pharaoh said, fine, I'll let you go. And so the nation of Israel experienced freedom. They experienced, let me say it like this, salvation. That Moses, a savior type figure, caused them to experience a saving moment, a salvation moment. And so everybody's excited. They're leaving Egypt. No more bondage. No more in slavery, not able to make or change the path that they were on. And as they're walking out, all of a sudden, Pharaoh said, hey, what are we doing? We're not going to let you just get away that easily. And so he sent the Egyptian army after them. How many of you know, just because you gave your life to Jesus doesn't mean that the enemy stops chasing you. So the nation of Israel be, finds himself in a predicament because they find themselves at the Red Sea with the Egyptian army behind them. And most of us know the story that Moses prayed and it says that God split the Red Sea. The whole nation of Israel walked through the Red Sea and that as they came to the other side, the Egyptian army chased after them, but God closed the door on them. He closed the sea on them and the Egyptian army was defeated. What we find here is a picture of baptism that when the Israelites, it says they were baptized through the Red Sea, what happened was they were no longer able to go back to that old lifestyle. That when I got baptized, God, I'm not going back to my old self, that I don't have to have the old things in my past haunt me anymore. I'm a new person. Everybody can see that there's something different about me than the church experienced baptism. And then so God leads them into the wilderness and He begins to provide for them supernaturally. He provides for them manna to eat, which is why we are manna house. He supernaturally fed them. And so that is why we are manna house, where God supernaturally satisfies us. He caused water to come from the rock and He satisfied their thirst. And then God leads them into this thing called the promised land. A place flowing with milk and honey. Let the good times roll. You know what I'm saying? A place where my appetites are satisfied. A place of peace. A place of rest. And what we find is that in the promised land that there were enemies that stopped the children of Israel from experiencing the promises of God. And I want us to read this in mind. The same enemies that came against the Israelites are the same enemies that come against you and I today. And it's in that context, go with me to Deuteronomy chapter seven, that we're going to dive into it this morning. Here we go, Deuteronomy seven, verse one. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to possess and, dri and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hiv Hivites and the Jebusites. Let me mention this, this whole series, not today, every single one of those nations represents something. And this series, we're gonna look at the enemies the Israelites faced are the same enemies that you and I face. Seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you, and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them, show them no mercy. 
One more scripture, and then we're going to dive into it. Judges chapter 3, verse 1. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. Just because that there's an enemy present doesn't mean that it has power over you. This morning, as we look at some of the enemies that they face, can I propose that maybe you've walked in facing the same enemy? We're gonna look at specifically today, the Hittites. The Hittite actually means this, ones who use fear and confusing, uh, confusion. The, the Hittites, it says they were ones who used fear and confusion to overwhelm. Have you found that you have an enemy called the Hittite, fear and confusion in your life, where fear and confusion has paralyzed you? Regardless of what you've walked in here today, my prayer is you'd leave saying, God, not today. It used to paralyze me, but not anymore. It used to control me, but not today. If you're taking down notes, the overview for this morning is I wanna look at the purpose of the fight. I wanna look at the process of the fight and that we're not supposed to fear the fight. Come on, if you're taking down notes, that's the title of this morning. Don't fear the fight. Sometimes fear, the problem is it doesn't take us out of the fight. It stops us from getting into it in the first place. Come on, bow your heads, close your eyes. And let's pray, Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you that it's living and that it's active. God, I recognize that there's enemies in my world, but God, just because there's an enemy present doesn't mean that it has power. In fact, God, there's a purpose to the fight. God, you show me how to fight. God, I pray that today, God, that we would leave free. God, anything that's come and controlled or bound, anybody walking in, God, that feels like their life is out of their hands, out of control, God, I pray that you would not just save, but you would bring freedom. God, I pray that today that we would leave change. God, we wouldn't come in the same way, that we wouldn't leave the same way we came in. God, I pray that faith would begin to rise in this place. God, if you're on my side, what do I have to fear? God, I pray that today you would speak. God, that you would move in your mighty name. And everybody said, amen. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, um, but when you gave your life to Jesus, maybe you haven't at the end of the service, we'll give you the opportunity. But when you, if you've given your life to Jesus, did you ever feel like you got the old bait and switch? Anybody? Like, like when you gave your life to Jesus, I mean, there was, there's, a, there's probably a reason why you did that. There was some sort of need. God, I'm stuck. I need help. God, I, I need saving. I need you to deliver me. I'm, I'm, I'm lost. Would you find me? I'm, I'm kind of, I need some sort of divine intervention. And the reason why we gave our life to Jesus was there was this promise that Things were gonna get better with Him on our side, right? Like anybody else, like, did anybody else find that just because I became a Christian doesn't mean that life got better? Just me? Anybody else like feel like they kind of got the old bait and switch? Like, God, I became a Christian yet. Like, why do I still have some real problems? Like, why is there some real challenges facing me? Like, I thought, God, you were gonna just take care of that. I mean, when I read the story about the Israelites, they had to have the same kind of thought process. Like, like God, so good, Prince of Egypt status, there will be miracles, come on, here we go. Out of Egypt, Red Sea, no problem for my God, parts the sea. Food, are you kidding me? He just drops bread from heaven, here we go. God, you deal with all this stuff, walking with Jesus. Mm, you know, you're gonna tell the devil, not today. <laughs> See ya, wouldn't wanna be ya. It's so good. And then, and then God says, hey, I've got a promised land. I've got a place where you can experience like milk and honey, a place where you're gonna experience rest and provision and my peace. Oh, by the way, there's a couple of enemies though that you're gonna have to kind of deal with. Are you serious? <laughs> Anybody else have this kind of commentary in my head? Like just me? 
Like, God, why don't you tell me you bring me to the promised land? And there's this no vacancy sign hanging over it. Like there's no room for us. In fact, I'm looking at these nations. They're bigger, they're stronger. Are you kidding me? Like, God, why don't you do your whole kind of like rub the genie in a lamp, you know? Like, why don't you kind of take care of business for me? Like just, if you could just take care of that, that would be great. And I can kind of have the promise, the good life, the Christian life, the healthy, wealthy and wise life. You know what I'm saying? But could I, see, could I suggest that there's a purpose to the fight that God wants you to be in? Um, I, I don't know if you kind of remember this phenomenon that hit Portland, um, but eight or nine years ago, I remember like the town went absolutely crazy um, because something came to Portland that kind of puts you on the map. Like when, when this comes to Portland, you kind of, you, you realize you've arrived as a major city, you know, like, like when this comes to Portland, you, you came to Portland, like everybody was going crazy because it was like, we finally made it, you know, like we're a major city, you know, like look how great we are. We're Portland, Vancouver. Look at our population. Huzzah. Like, do you remember when Ikea came to Portland? Do you remember how crazy everybody went? Just me? Like Cascade Station, like it was traffic jams getting to Ikea because finally, oh, we got a place where there's furniture that's affordable. Oh, it is the promised land. You've shopped there, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, finally, I can have a modern kind of artistic touch to my room at affordable rate. Like Ikea, it is the promised land. Not only is it the promised land because of furniture, my goodness, it's not milk and honey, but those Swedish meatballs and cinnamon rolls. Oh, oh, you know, some of you don't even shop for furniture. That's like date night. Oh, this is the promised land. Woo! I remember Kiss and I, we just got an apartment and so we're looking to furnish it. And so where do we go? None of these high-end places. Why don't I waste my money on that? We got Ikea. So I remember we were going through Ikea and, and you know, like you're walking through the staging room and everything just seems so much better in the staging room. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, the mom dresser and the mom bookcase, that looks like so great. And this name, I don't even know how to pronounce it. That, I think that would look great in the living room. And like, like, and like you're walking through the staging area and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is great, babe. We can afford furniture on our budget. Like, it's good for you, it's good for me. Budget, conscious, hello. Like, and so we're picking out things and I'm like, babe, you spend your money, like you, you buy this, this is amazing. And then I'm like, okay, like we picked out our furniture, like let's go pick up the furniture. Do we need a truck to deliver it? And Kirsten was like, oh no. Oh, like we, we have to go downstairs and pick it up. I'm like, well, I'm a strong guy, I could probably, probably carry most of it. And we go downstairs and I was like, where is all the furniture? Did anybody else have this experience? Just me? Like I see boxes that are quite narrow and thin that look nothing like what I saw upstairs. But it's, it's fine. Like, and Kirsty was like, well, we have to assemble this. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay, I'm tracking now. So I'm gonna have to pick out furniture and now I'm going to have to assemble it. Sorry, I'm laughing. I remember coming home with the mom dresser. It took me three and a half hours to assemble this piece of furniture. I can still remember getting frustrated at the instructions. I thought Ikea was the answer to my prayer only to find out that there was some assembly required. Could it be that when it comes to our faith in God, faith in God is not supposed to be a one-time decision, but God recognized that faith in Him actually requires some assembly. 
Could it be that God actually leads us to a place because he, he knows that there's some things that faith isn't just a feeling and faith isn't just a one-time moment, but faith is something that God has to grow, that God has to build in every single one of us because when it comes to the enemies, could it be that there's a purpose to the enemies that God allows in our life? In fact, Judges gives us a, gives us a thought on this. Judges chapter three, this is what it says. These are the nations that the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. Could it be that God has a test for us, but there's a test for a purpose? Have you thought about the difference between a test and a temptation? You see, see temptation, the, the reason why God doesn't tempt is because temptation has to do with motive, that when you're tempted, the motivation is to get you to fail. That when the enemy comes in front of you and he tempts you, his motivation is to get you to fail. But the reason why God tests, his goal is not to get you to fail. The reason why you take a test is because a test reveals what's inside of you. That when it came to these enemies, God said, I'm going to put a test in front of you because I'm trying to reveal something to you. Could it be that God is not after a one-time decision? Could it be God is not after just a salvation experience back in your history? Could it be that the same dependence you need when you encounter Jesus for the first time is the same dependence you need from Jesus to continue to walk with Him for the rest of your life. God does not just want to save you from your sin. He wants to free you from it. That God doesn't just want to save you from a history. He doesn't want to just have a salvation moment in your past, but He wants you to recognise that, man, for me to actually continue being saved means I have to continually be dependent on Him. But have you noticed humanity, we are so good at taking matters into our own hands. I mean, God, God, I need you to save me. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. But when it comes to this anxiety, this whole fear, my anxiety, society now puts a name on it. It's like my anxiety. Well, God, let me figure this out. Let me figure out what my future is. I need you to save me from my past, but my future, I better figure that one out. God, I need you. God, I need you to save me. I need you to save me from this sin. <sighs> Appreciate. Let me now clean myself up a little bit and make myself a little bit more presentable to you. God, I'm, I need you to save me. I'm isolated. I'm all by myself. But maybe I... Maybe I'm just that kind of introvert person. I don't need anybody else. Not realizing maybe God created you to be in community. That what transforms you is not you just having a relationship with God, but what transforms you is you having relationship with other people. That could it be that there's a purpose to the enemy that God has in front of you because he's trying to reveal maybe you're dependent on the wrong thing. In fact, I mean, think about the promised land for a second. It's a place flowing with milk and honey, a place where, where appetites are satisfied. Could it be that God wasn't just trying to lead the Israelites to a place, but He was trying to lead them to a person? Could it be that He's trying to lead them to a place that enabled relationship with a person, when you came to Jesus, could it be God is not just trying to get you to a place? God's not just trying to get you to a place where your bank account now is big enough. God, the promised land is when I've hustled enough and everybody knows my name. No, that might be a byproduct, but that's not the purpose. The purpose of the place is to have experience, have relationship with the one true God. God, I'm bring, you bring me to a place. God, when I, when the place that I need to get to is a place where I have no problems. 
That's the promised land. No, God's not trying to get you to a place where you have no problems. He's trying to get, rec- cause you to recognise that you might be in a storm, that no matter how bad the storm gets, there's a person in the boat with you who can handle your problems because that's where peace comes from. God, I need to get to a, God, I need to get to a place where all my appetites are satisfied. No, God's saying, I need to get you to a place where you recognise I'm the only one that can satisfy your appetites. You see, the purpose of the fight is God's trying to get you to realise maybe there's still some areas in your life that you need to depend on Him for. Because His greatest promise is not a place He's gonna get you. The greatest promise is the person He's going to give you. That if I have Jesus in my boat, regardless of what I'm facing, regardless of the enemies that are around me. Regardless, you can set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When I recognise the person that I'm with, it doesn't recognise whether they're present or not. They don't have any power because I recognise the person that I'm with. That is the purpose to the fight. When I find that there's an enemy, when I recognise that there's a problem, could it be God's trying to teach me something that Dylan, you're not depending on me, that maybe you're depending on something else. Because God, God, God shows us that there's no way for us to fight on our own. In fact, he kind of gives the Israelites a heads up, which is, it is just funny to me. He's like, I'm gonna bring you to a land, that, but there's nations, there's some enemies that are bigger and stronger than you. Like from the get-go, God's like, like, like there's no way that you're gonna be able to beat these guys on your own. Yet, yet how often do we take matters into our own hands and think, well, appreciate you getting me out of Egypt, but I've got it from here. Anybody else do that? Just me? In fact, when when you read this scripture, we recognize that there's a purpose. God's leading us to dependence on Him, but there's also a process. Notice what God says about the fight that you're in. There's a process. This is what it says in Deuteronomy. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, you must destroy them totally. Notice that there's a process to the fight. Notice that God has some responsibility, but you do too. God has some responsibility, but, but you have some too. This is what God says. My responsibility is I will deliver them to you. That word deliver doesn't mean that God's like, hey, surprise Graham at the front door, got a big bad wolf ready to blow your house down, you know? Whoa, that was overwhelming. God, God says, my responsibility is to deliver this enemy to you. That word deliver, this is what it means. If you're taking down notes, you should write this down. Place an object or an idea in the possession or control of another. That when God delivers an enemy, he delivers something into your possession under your control. Think about a prisoner of war. A prisoner of war, you are the enemy, but the difference is this enemy is bound. It has no authority. It has no teeth where it can attack. It's bound. It has no authority over your life. This is how God delivers enemies to us. He renders them He renders them without any ability to fight. He renders them without any ability to overwhelm us. He renders them without any teeth. This is how God delivers the enemy to you. And this is says, God says, I'm gonna deliver them, drive them out and deliver them to you. But you have a responsibility to defeat them. That word defeat means that you actually repeatedly strike them until they're destroyed. You defeat them until they're destroyed. And what does that mean? God gives you an enemy. It is rendered powerless, but you have a responsibility to strike it until it is gone. Let me say it like this. God says, I will pull it out you have a responsibility not to put it back in. But have you noticed that that problem is that God might render it without any ability, but we have a great 
ability to breathe life into something that was supposed to be killed. In fact, as I was thinking about what, what does it mean to be a prisoner of war, you know the only reason why you would keep an enemy alive is because you thought it had some value to you. The only reason why you would keep an enemy alive is because you actually thought it could offer you something. It could benefit you in some way. And have you noticed that the enemies that we find in our life, that we have a great ability to listen to the lies of the enemy who has no power, who has no authority over you, but we actually believe the lie that he can offer us something when it comes to this enemy called fear. And you've walked in this morning dealing with anxiety and fear and it's crippling. Could it be it's an indication that you've breathed life into something that was not supposed to be breathed life into? God said, I'm your fortress. I'm your, I'm your tower of safe refuge. But when it comes to fear, maybe that presence of fear indicates my trust is in something other than God. How about this fear of the future? When it comes to my, I'm so fearful about the future, about what's gonna happen to me. Could it be that's an indication that your trust is not in God, but your trust is in your ability to navigate your future? I'm so anxious about the future because I don't know what's gonna come to my, my direction. I'm so anxious and fearful about the future because I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to navigate this. It, it reveals your dependence on yourself and not on him. I have this fear, this anxiety of what people think about me. The fear of man is a trap, but I'm so conscientious about what people are thinking about me. I'm consumed. I have what society calls social anxiety. I'm so consumed and afraid of what people think about me. Could it be an indication that my faith is on what they think about me, not what God says about me? Can we, hey, not today. Here's a series. You got an enemy called lust. That there's this enemy that says, hey, if you give into this addiction, if you look at this screen, if you cross this line, what is the lie? That this enemy will actually satisfy you when we believe the lie. We say, I'm gonna look to this sexual appetite to satisfy me instead of going to God who's the only one that can satisfy me. And what do we do? We allow the enemy in our life. We find that God, I'm looking for satisfaction outside of you. God, I need you. God, I need you to save me. And there's this enemy called Self-identification, I need to tell you who I am. I, let me put it in modern vernacular. You need to discover yourself because you should trust your feelings and your feelings are final. Have you noticed that there's enemies that are present Deuteronomy, I think it's such a key. Deuteronomy, God says, when it comes to this enemy, I deliver it to you. It doesn't have any authority over you. But if you don't defeat it, what happens is you liberate it. And Deuteronomy, it says this, it makes this statement, make no treaty with them, show them no mercy, do not intermarry with them. Have you noticed when there's a challenge, a problem, an enemy in our life, we get really good at managing and mitigating it we don't actually think we need to destroy it. We make treaties, we make truces. We say, hey, I'll live with you for a little bit. When it comes to fear, let me just push you out of my mind and hopefully you'll just leave me alone. But it comes back and haunts me even more. This sexual appetite, let me just, let me just kind of hide it. But what happens is it doesn't go away, it gets stronger. Have you noticed that you have a responsibility? God delivers it, but you have a responsibility to defeat it. The problem is, is we don't defeat our enemies. We simply cohabitate with them. And we think, God, let me just figure out, hey, thanks for saving me, but let me figure out how to live my life 
with this involved. What you don't destroy will ultimately destroy you. And so when you read this story, we see that there's a purpose to the fight that you're in, that God is not setting you up for failure. He's setting you up to be more dependent on Him. And there's a process that I don't, have to, I don't have to worry about the enemies that are coming my direction because God, if you render them powerless, then my responsibility is just to continue to strike them and not depend on them. That what the enemy says are a lie, that what the enemy says he can satisfy me, that's not true, God, you're the only one that can satisfy me. And so can we do a deep dive into fear this morning? Because fear doesn't stop you in the fight. Fear causes you not to get in it in the first place. In fact, when it says the nations that the Israelites faced, it said they were the Hittites. The Hittites were ones who used fear and confusion. Let me put some modern vernacular, anxiety, terror, fear, despair. Is there anybody here, if you were to be honest, you find that this enemy, this Hittite, is very present in your life? Just... Is there anybody here that would say, I recognize that there's an enemy called fear and it overwhelms me and it cripples me. It stops me from getting out of bed in the morning. There's some of you here where you're paralyzed. You can't make decisions because you're afraid of taking the wrong step. Have you ever thought about what fear is? Oftentimes we think how I deal with fear is I just need more faith. You know how you deal with fear? That's not how you deal with fear because fear actually is faith. Have you thought about what fear is? Fear Fear isn't the opposite of faith. Fear is faith. Fear is false faith. That fear is simply the belief in something that hasn't happened, the unseen, it hasn't happened, but the fear, it's the faith in the negative, not the positive. When it comes to my future, God, I don't know how to mitigate or manage my future, and so I think what's gonna happen to me is negative, not positive. When it comes to fear of what people think, God, they're out to get me, they're not out to help me. When it comes to fear in your life, have you recognized fear is actually false faith? It's faith in the wrong thing. It's faith that the negative is gonna happen. Are you here? And you're so crippled by saying like, man, God, like, like good things aren't coming my way, only bad things. God, this situation isn't gonna get fixed. It's only gonna get worse. God, this problem is only, get, is gonna, only gonna grow. It's not gonna shrink. When you find faith, have you recognised you actually have more faith in the wrong than in the right? This Hittite, this nation that the... Israelites faced, I find it very present in today's day and age. Proverbs, I mentioned it before, Proverbs says that the fear of man is a trap. Fear of the future, fear of what people think. You know, this morning we're talking on fear as the bands jump to the platform. Like, I don't preach because I'm perfect. I'm preaching because God's making me perfect. And when it comes to fear, if you deal with fear, you are very aware of its effects on your life. I remember growing up not being necessarily terribly afraid, but there was a season in my life where I began to go through panic attacks and I was overwhelmed with anxiety and fear. I remember when I first got into a relationship with Kirsten, overwhelmed with anxiety because for the first time I started thinking, how am I gonna navigate this situation? How am I gonna get the right career? How am I gonna make enough money? How am I gonna get the house we're supposed to live in? How am I gonna make sure that I provide for it? How am I supposed to figure out what we're gonna do together? How am I gonna know this is gonna work out? If it doesn't work out, what's gonna happen? Everyone's gonna think I'm a jerk. I got into a relationship and I shouldn't have gone into that relationship and everybody's gonna think that I'm the worst and I'm the horrible, most horrible person on the world. I remember, if you, if you know what fear is, this is what happens in your head. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I had a panic attack. 
I remember when I first came on staff, three days coming on to staff, I wanted to quit because when I came on staff, all of a sudden the enemy began to bring up all of my past, things that God had taken care of, but shame and guilt began to come on me as I was sitting in rooms with amazing leaders at this church and I was so overwhelmed with shame of my past. There was a season where I dealt with pornography. There was mistakes that I've made and I began to think, man, if people actually found out, if people knew who I was, people are gonna reject me. They're gonna push me away. So three days into coming on staff, it was like, well, I might as well just turn in my notice now and that way I'll kind of just save myself from any kind of further embarrassment. And in my mind, I'd already figured out an exit strategy until I talked to Kirsten. She says, what you're dealing with is not natural, it's supernatural. You're dealing with fear. And if you're anything like me, maybe you walked in here and you're dealing with fear. You know what it means to have your mind begin to spiral out of control. And it wasn't until God convicted me that I actually began to see change in this area. God actually told me one night, He said, Dylan, the reason you're dealing with anxiety because I'm like you, anybody else, you say, God, why is this happening to me? Why are you allowing this? God, I was a Christian. I thought my life was supposed to get better. Is there anybody else that has those kind of thoughts? Is there anybody else, if you're honest, you're like, God, why, why doesn't this just go away? Why can't I just pray and let it go away? Because God convicted me and He said, Dylan, you're too dependent on yourself. Well, that was convicting. God, I thought this was an enemy that you were supposed to take care of. He's like, I did, I delivered it to you. You keep putting power into it because you're depending on your ability to fix your future. You're dependent on your ability to kind of navigate your past. Instead of trusting in me, you're trusting in yourself. Fear is sin because fear is faith in the wrong thing. And I remember in my life when God began to put His finger on it, that I began to experience freedom because I began to recognize the enemy for what it was. That I was not possessed, but I was oppressed. That there was a voice whispering lies. And some of you have these lies that has caused you to be paralyzed. If you're taking down notes, can I give you two thoughts on how you experience freedom from the enemy of fear? The first way you experience freedom is one, you have an encounter with perfect love. See, the opposite of fear is not faith. The opposite of fear is not getting stronger. The opposite of fear is actually love. Notice what 1 John 4:18 says, and this was a transformational scripture for me. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Let me say it like this, fear and love can't coexist. One will consume the other. We just simply get to choose. That the opposite of fear, you walked in and there's fear, there's anxiety and it kind of hovers over you and, and, and you're dealing with this. Can I suggest this, that what we need is an encounter with perfect love because you know how love drives out fear? When I'm perfectly loved, all of a sudden my security is not in my ability, my security is His ability. I'm, I might not be able to control my future, but I can control my thoughts. I might not be able to control people, but I can, I can control the thoughts that I allow into my life. I might not be able to fix my mistakes, but I can remind myself that there's a God who covers my mistakes. When I experience perfect love, what happens is your trust begins to lean on the person that 
perfectly loves you instead of trust leaning on yourself. If you're dealing with fear, can I tell you what we need is an encounter with perfect love. He's the one that drives out fear where He says, I have a hope, I have a future for you, a future that's good, not evil, that you can trust me, my ability to handle your situation, your problems, they're not too big for me. Perfect love casts out fear. But can I tell you the second thing that helped me in this area? is I began to write down what caused me to be afraid. If you deal with this enemy like me, I used to get anxious just thinking I might be anxious. Anybody, like, like I've had, I had panic attacks and I was like, oh my goodness, what happens if another one comes? And I'd get anxious thinking I might have another panic attack. And I was like, why am I so anxious? Like, I'm not, there's nothing to be anxious about. I'm just anxious that I might be more anxious. And I might be, I might actually like, I'm, I'm gonna have a panic attack because I've had a panic attack. And like, have you noticed that fear goes hand in hand with confusion? And so I began to write down, I had an encounter with perfect love. And then I began to write down, God, what is it that I'm afraid of? You know what, one of the things that I had to do when I faced this enemy, because I didn't have to fear it anymore. I faced this enemy. One of the fears, Dylan, you're always gonna struggle with fear. I wrote that down and this is what God said. God, you haven't given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love and self-control, a sound mind. God, when it comes to fear in my life, this doesn't have to control me because where there's fear is present, that's not of you. You didn't save me just so that I can struggle through life. It was for freedom that Christ set me free. And so God, you've given me a, pa- a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. And when fear begins to come on me and when anxiety begins to come on me, God, you've given me the ability to take that thought captive. Sound mind means disciplined mind. And I began to think about what I was thinking about. Well, Dylan, how do you know? how to navigate the future. Have you noticed that the enemy often uses questions? Did God really say? Can you really trust? And in my own strength, I'd say, well, well, yeah, I think he did. And this is how I'm gonna figure out my future. This is how I'm gonna navigate this. You know what happened? When those questions began to came, I began to think about what I was thinking about. I began to say, God, I'm not gonna depend on myself. I'm gonna depend on what you say. I have a fear of the future. What does God say? God, you know the plans that you have for me, plans to prosper me, not to harm me. God, I have this fear that this addiction, this sin habit is always gonna be with me. God, your word says, no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. You know how you deal with an enemy is you repeatedly strike it over and over again with the only weapon that you have and it's called the Word of God. And as I begin to discipline my mind, I find that I begin to trust in Him and less in myself. And this enemy that that was out to get me, this enemy did not get me. I was able to destroy it, not because of my ability, but because of what He said. This morning, If you're here, how you deal with enemies is you have an encounter with perfect love. I love what God did, that He renders enemies useless. You think back to Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. It says that in the garden, He was praying as the sin of the world was falling on Him, as He was going to die so that we wouldn't have to, death being separated from God. That's the ultimate thing to be afraid of. It says that as in the garden that he was praying, as sin and death was falling on him, everything that caused me to be afraid, as it fell on him, it says that as he prayed, he was in such angst, anxious, that he was sweating blood. Why would Jesus do that? Because he took fear and conquered sin and death so that you could experience perfect love. 
that what Jesus did on the cross is He said, this is how you are perfectly loved so that you don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to be afraid of sin. You don't have to be afraid of your past habits. You don't have to be afraid of your past coming back to haunt you. You don't have to be afraid of your future. You don't have to be afraid of what people say about you. You don't have to be afraid, afraid that you're gonna be a failure. You don't have to fear anymore because I took fear so you could experience perfect love. This morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna pray for two groups of people here this morning. You would say, Dylan, as I look at my life, fear is very present and it overwhelms it, it has me on lockdown. As I was talking about what anxiety did, you'd say, Dylan, that's me. And you've never had an encounter with Jesus. You've never had an encounter with perfect love. And you'd say, Dylan, today, I used to know God but not anymore. I've never had a relationship with Jesus and I need this fear, this anxiety. It's crippling, I'm paralyzed. I don't know how to deal with it. It starts by having an encounter with Jesus, the living God, the one that gives you peace regardless of your storm. If you're here this morning, you say, Dylan, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I've never put my trust in Him. I've only trusted myself and it's not working out for me. If you're here this morning and you would say, Dylan, I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to trust Jesus, not myself. I want you to just raise your hand. I wanna pray for you right where you're at. You ready? One, two, three, you just throw your hand up. Come on, awesome. One, two, three, four, five, six. Keep your hand up. A service host is just gonna get a card in your hand and we'll collect it after service. Just keep your hand up until that card. We're gonna, we're gonna pray. God's gonna break some things tonight, this morning. Anybody else? Seven, eight, awesome. Anybody else? You say, Dylan, I need Jesus in my life. I need Jesus to encounter me. I need Him to save me. You just raise your hand. We'll stop and wait. Anybody else? Come on, you can put your hands down. If you're here this morning, and this was the most surprising thing for me, I was a Christian, and yet I found I faced this Hittite, this enemy called fear. And you're here this morning, you say, Dylan, I love Jesus, but I recognise that there's an enemy present. I need God to help me deal. I need Him to help me defeat. I need Him to help me strike this fear over and over again so it's not controlling my life anymore. If you're here and you say, Dylan, there is a real, I am stuck fighting this enemy called fear. I've, I've cohabitated with it. I've tried to mitigate it. I've tried to brush it aside, but it comes back even more. And God, I need you to deal with that this morning. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I wanna pray for you right now. Come on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. We got too many hands. This is what we're gonna do. We're gonna stand in a moment. And if you raise your hand for salvation or fear, we're gonna invite you in a moment to come down the front. Prayer teams, get ready. We're gonna pray. But would you stand to your feet? We're gonna pray. And then we're gonna declare what God's gonna do this morning. We're gonna do church. Is that okay? Can we get free this morning? Man, what I walked in with, I'm not gonna leave. Come on, would you just put your hands on your heart and we're gonna pray this prayer. God, I pray right now for every person that raised their hand and said, Jesus, I need You in my life. God, I pray that this morning, God, that You would encounter them. They'd pray a simple prayer. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of trusting myself. God, I trust You. I'm putting my faith in You. God, I'm giving my life to You. God, I pray as they pray that prayer, God, I pray that there'd be some change that the enemy would begin to break off, that they'd lead them out of bondage. I pray for every person that raised their hand and said, God, I need breakthrough in this area. God, I need the bondage of fear broken off my life. I pray Pray right now in Your presence, God, that they would encounter perfect love that cast out fear. God, I'm not gonna leave the same. God, I'm gonna hang on to Your promises. I'm getting back in the fight. God, You didn't set me up to fail. God, You set me up to succeed. That there's a promise in store for me. And today, God, I pray we would encounter everything that You have for me. Come on, let's sing. Come on. If you raise your hand, can I ask you to do something? I had an encounter with Jesus and He transformed my life, but it was people walking with me 
that continue to transform my life. If you raise your hand, can I invite you to just jump out of your seats as, as elders, as group leaders, make your way forward. And you're saying, you know what, Dylan? I don't wanna deal with this anymore. I want this to be done. I'm leaving it today that this enemy doesn't have to have any control. There was a lot of hands and you're just saying, you know what, that's me. I want you to make your way down the front. Can I get group leaders, pastoral teams, staff? Can I get, can, can I get, if you're on that team, you're just saying, you know what, we're gonna begin to pray. We're gonna go back into this song. And if you need prayer, you just come down the front, raise your hands. We'll find you that I don't wanna deal with this anymore, that I've tried everything else. Maybe I need to allow God to do something maybe a little bit different. You keep coming, keep coming. We're gonna go back into this song, but we're gonna pray that God's gonna meet us here. Can we do church? Is that okay? Here we go, let's go. Oh, Hey, the band's gonna just continue to play. We're gonna to continue to pray over people, but man, what an awesome day to be in God's church, right? Be a part of His family. God's love chases after you, pursues you to love you, to care for you, to set you free. And so, Lord, we just thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you for your amazing grace that's chased after us. Lord, we don't have to live in fear, but we can live free because of Jesus. And so, Lord, we just simply say thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for chasing after us. And we say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you go. We got prayer tonight at 5 o'clock. Band's going to continue to minister. If you would like to get prayer, why don't you come down to the front? Let us pray for you. God bless. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to another Mana House message. Our hope is that you find fresh bread for your journey each time you join us here. Until next time, 